0: Hi Clutter Fairy fans, welcome to the Clutter Fairy Weekly for November 10th, 2020. I'm your co-host Ed Gumnick and I'm speaking with Gail Goddard, professional organizer and owner of the Clutter Fairy in Houston, Texas.
1: Hi, everybody. The Clutter Fairy Weekly is our weekly webcast and podcast where we talk about all things organizing. We use the topics that you suggest to us through all of our the comments and all the social media channels, and we really appreciate you do that. This particular um, discussion that we're having is lifted almost straight out of the comment section, so thank you for that.
0: If you're joining us in the Zoom meeting for the first time, you can share your comments and questions via the chat and I'll try to make sure Gail gets to them before we move on to another topic. You can also use the raise hand feature to let me know that you'd like to to ask a question or make a comment yourself via audio or video. More and more people have been doing that we really appreciate it because it it's fun to have the live interaction and I think it makes our videos more interesting. We are streaming live on Facebook so you can also share your questions and comments there and I'll relay them to Gail. And during the live webcast each Tuesday you can talk to us directly by calling 669-900-6833. Use meeting ID 993419863 419 863 and password clutter to join the meeting. Our September 8th episode was about the role of emotions in our relationship with stuff. One of the, t- the subtopics we talked about was leveraging generosity as a motivation for letting things go. That topic launched a conversation in YouTube comments with a lot of viewers sharing their thoughts on what it means when we give something away or when we decide to hold on to things. That conversation touched off our current series of episodes on the concept of value. Today we want to dig deeper into some of the ideas that viewers expressed in that comment thread. We don't want anyone who participated in the conversation to feel like we're ganging up on them, so I'm not going to give names. I'm just going to summarize and condense a few points that the commenters made in that conversation, and then I'm going to ask Gail to offer her interpretation advice on the issues our viewers raised. I encourage those who are participating live to make notes about which of these statements they associate with because we really kind of want to get your feedback uh, when when we get to the end of the presentation. Okay, statement number one, when I give valuable things to friends or family, I worry that they will turn around and give them away. Statement number two, when I give something away, I accept that I have no further claim to it, which gives me peace of mind. Statement number three, I only give things on the condition that the recipients will involve me in any decisions about the future disposition of things I've given them. Statement number four, I find it discouraging when I give useful and valuable things to friends and family who don't appreciate it. Statement number five, worrying about what happens to things after you give them away is letting stuff hold too much power over you. Statement number six, it means a lot to me that my children recognize and understand the importance and value of items from our family's history. Statement number seven, even though my stuff has become a burden in my life, it's hard to let go of good things to people who don't appreciate them. Statement number eight, remaining attached to our stuff and feeling like we need to find a good home for each item arises out of a need to remain in control statement number nine when people don't want what you give them it isn't a judgment on you or the value of your gift so gail what can we make of all these conflicting and contrasting points of view
1: well first let me just say this is sammy sammy says hi apparently (laughs) he wants to be on the video today um and about what you've been saying let me just say there's a lot to unpack here this is a very dense Um, response to the conversation, this is why we pulled it out of the thing, because I think at the heart of this conversation are a couple of definitions of value that we introduced last week, but we didn't talk much about. The definitions of value I'm talking about are uh, a meaning or a meaningful difference and the experience or consequence that a thing provides or has the potential to provide. The assignment of value based on the experience or result a thing provides or has the potential to provide is the source of our decisions about usefulness. So I want to talk about those decisions first and specifically about decisions that lead to holding on. Sometimes you hold on to things because of their necessity, especially for the things you're actively, frequently using. Most of us agree on this point. If we're using it now, it makes sense to keep it. But for everything else, what you're actually holding on to is the possibility of using it. All of us rate that possibility differently, though. For some of us, even the remotest possibility of usefulness means an item stays. For others, the possibility of using something sometime in the future needs to be a higher probability in order to keep it. We want a a higher certainty that we'll use an item before we commit to keeping it. For some of us, just the act of spending hard-earned money on it means that it's staying, even if we'll likely never use it again or ever. Then what we're holding on to is the value of the money we already spent instead of the money itself. But like all things that are traded for money, an item's value at any point in time is an ever-changing and mutable thing, as we've discussed at length last week. The $50 dress won't be worth $50 in 10 years. For that matter, the $50,000 car won't be worth $50,000 in 10 years either. It's strange to me that we accept that the value of the car we spent five years paying for will start dropping off in value every day that we own the car, but we have a hard time seeing that the same continuous devaluation about other things in our lives. We don't recognize that it happens to all the things that we own. Now let's talk about letting go. One point of view of letting go is that we're losing something, that we're shedding value or net worth, we're shedding accumulation. But another point of view is that we're sharing something with someone else. We're passing the item off like a football to the next player. Here's an analogy. If you grew up in a family with a few siblings or a few cousins, you likely got some hand-me-down clothes at some point. When your older brother outgrew something, it went to the next kid in line and so on until everyone in the family wore it. Then it passed on to your younger cousins. So by the third pass, that piece of clothing is likely looking pretty faded and well worn. The family got their money's worth out of it and used up all the value. But not everything gets to go through that full use in your house. Some things are, get partially used by you and then passed on to the next person to get used some more. You may not know who will get it, and that's probably unlikely unless you're giving your clothes to your siblings. Even so, you can let go of an object that that you're done using, but that still has value or possible use or potential to it, and send it on to the next sibling down the river of stuff, even if you don't get to meet the sibling or know that they have it. Let's talk for a moment specifically about gift giving now. Everyone who buys something specifically as a gift can usually give the gift away and not worry too much about what happens to it afterwards. We hope we did a good job and we managed to get something that our friend actually likes, but we all know that sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Hopefully, our friend will follow social conventions and tell us thank you to our faces and then pass the gift along behind the scenes. For some of us, it's a stickier situation when we try to give something that wasn't purchased as a gift to begin with. When we try to give things to family and friends that we originally bought for ourselves or that we inherited, then we feel much more attached to it. Like we talked about last week, the object becomes imbued with a feeling of value through the endowment effect, that psychological um, construct. And that makes it so much harder to give it to the next person, either as an actual gift or in an anonymous way through donation. The fact that we owned it first for a while makes it feel so much more valuable and we feel very attached to it. Then trying to gift it becomes a minefield. The recipient had better value it sufficiently and they better keep it forever. And saying thanks to us while quietly passing it on is a big no, no. It's too important a thing for them to just receive it and discard it. So it becomes a gift with really big strings attached. It's hard to be the person on the receiving end of something that we think is valuable because we've owned it. When it's still really a used item that the person receiving it might not even want to have or use. It puts that person in a very awkward position to have to take a gift from you that you still think of as yours. Then they have to keep up with it and report its use to you and give it back to you at the end of their using it. It's not really a gift then, it's more of a loan because we can still, we still feel so attached to the ownership of it. Could we rethink passing on that kind of burden to our family? If you feel so attached to the ownership of a thing that you can't truly let it go when you gift it to family and friends, then it might be better to find a way to donate it somewhere that you feel more comfortable with instead. If your gift has a string wrapped around the middle of it that leads back to a stake in your front yard, then that's just a little too much baggage attached to the gift. It might be another instance where family are not the best partners to help you declutter your space. How can you pass things on in a way that's easier for the recipients then? Why not ask them if they have an interest in anything that you have? Invite them to ask about something that catches their fancy. I've heard stories about grandma inviting the family in to put stickers on things that they like and want, or sending an email requesting that family and friends uh, share what they have an interest in having. It's usually something that's tied up in their memories of childhood or their current collecting interests, and almost never what the givers think it will be. Once things have been claimed, so to speak, then the giver can pass other things on via donation without guilt. And can skip passing the value to someone with the value burden still attached. This is the pause point where you guys can ask some questions and chime in about how you relate to this concept.
0: Anya in Germany chimed in and said, what statements? When I give something away, I don't want to keep anybody in stranglehold. And if I can't let go of something with no strings attached, I keep it or I try to sell it. And Connie said, and this is kind of in the spirit of the the last thing you said. I tell whomever I give a gift to if they don't like it, they can pass it on. No need to tell me about it. I think that the point, the you know, the the, the key point there is, if you have if you have really strong feelings about the gift you're giving, the the obligation is on you to communicate that. And then if what you get back is not sufficient for your needs, you know, if what people say in response is not sufficient, well, then you either clarify it with them or don't give the gift, you know?
1: Exactly. And, and the bottom line here is we're all just trying to address the original question, which is I have too much stuff in my house. I need to downsize and move. I feel overburdened. I don't have the physical capacity to maintain this stuff anymore, I feel trapped in my stuff, I can't have friends over, whatever your song is around the decluttering and why you're even having this conversation or these thoughts at all. That's the driver here. So all we're doing is trying to examine ways in which you can let go of things can decide what needs to stay, can determine what's most important to you and can dispose of what feels like a burden. And so we're circling around this concept of value because deciding everything has value is part of what fills your home up and makes you feel overwhelmed. So you have to unpack your own relationship in some way in order to allow you to release enough things so that you feel comfortable in your home again. And going through that process, you're in, inevitably gonna come up against, I think all these things are valuable. I think all these things are fabulous. Well, of course you do. You spent the money for them. You inherited them in your family or you thought they were super cool when you bought them. So originally these things were all cool to you and that that's by definition. But, or
0: or they they grew cool via the, uh, the endowment effect. Mm-hmm. Even things that weren't so cool, you've got had more them cool. for a while now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? They got more cool because you've owned them. But I, you can keep anything you want to keep, and we don't care what it is or how much it is. The point here is if you are having this conversation and you are listening – to uh, discussions about decluttering, it's because some part of you is uncomfortable with your living environment. And it isn't just a matter of organizing things more tightly to fit it all into your house. It's probably the bulk of why you are having that problem is because there is more cubic volume of stuff in your house (laughs) than then you can manage or keep up with or maneuver in. And so you're going to have to let some of that stuff go. And what hangs you up is your perception of value of the object. And we're just trying to peel away all the ways that that value might be psychological instead of real, might be um, not as important as you think, might be, um, imagined or enhanced from your own living with it instead of actual you know value in the market someplace and where we are advocating that you let go of whatever you don't feel super attached to but I don't want anybody to come away with a feeling that we're saying, you know, all things are not important and get rid of it all. That's not what we're saying. And those things that are important and valuable to you through inheritance that they feel like family heritage, things like that. um, The only issue is going to be, do you have somebody in your life or your family who values the heritage in the same way that you do? And you may or may not, you may find that no one in your family wants to have that value. And so I think in in my um, dining room right now, I have a break front, a very tall glass front break front cabinet that I have some, you know, crystal and stuff in it. And this is the one piece of furniture that I have that it's very, you know, it's antique dark wood. And I inherited it from my mother's mother. I'm not into dark wood. It's not my favorite um, style of furniture but it, it was tall and thin and it had a lot of glass in it and it's useful to store the things that i want to show and it makes it it was a way for me to inherit one thing from all of the things that my grandmother owned that was a piece of furniture in honor to mum and still help my mother, you know, empty my grandmother's house. And so I didn't want 15 pieces of antique furniture in my house, that was never gonna be my style. But I took the one that I found the most appealing and that one has traveled. I've had it since I was in college. That one has traveled with me forever. And I'm always, you know, able to put it against a wall in a dining room somewhere and and make good use of it and remember my grandmother. But I don't want to do that with 25 pieces of furniture and my little sister wanted some but but she took a few and then you know my mother kept a whole bunch and then ended up giving away some and then when my mother passed away then my sister who's into antique furniture took some of it but not all of it and we got rid of some more and so ultimately my niece and nephew are going to have to decide how into these pieces of furniture they are, and we'll see how many of them go on into a new household. You know, when I'm too old to care anymore, <laughs> so <laughs> sometimes those heritage items get to the end of the line, and nobody in the family wants them anymore, and it And yes, the piece of furniture is still useful, and it's time to go out into the wild and let some new family pick it up and start a new family tradition with it. And so that's one place where people get stuck a lot, is the idea of this is family inheritance, this is family heritage, and why don't my kids care? Well, you know, they're not, not everybody's gonna value it in the same way. And usually there's one kid that does, and the rest don't. But if you end up in – if you're that last one in line and you're the last one that cares, then you get to live with it and and then send – when you go, they'll be sent on to another family. So
0: I think there's even a sort of – not only do you not always successfully communicate your notions of value, but there can even be a tendency toward uh, – uh, to react – to go in the opposite direction. And an example I have is my grandmother, my mother's mother, who we also called my mom, she squirreled away everything. You know, she, she saved all sorts of things for a special occasion, but no occasion was really ever special enough. And so when she died and my parents had to go clean out her house, they found beautiful linen tablecloths that had never been taken out of the original packages. And because they'd never been taken out and used and washed and refolded, they were damaged. They they were, they had damage along the folds.
1: Yeah, they were just starting never... to tear right there. Yeah,
0: I think it was a, sort of a dry rot from sitting in mm-hmm. drawers. And so my, my mother has gone completely the opposite direction with a, if we have nice things, we should use them. If, they're, if we don't use them, why are they taking up space in our house? It's always a special enough occasion, you know.
1: To bring out the linen tablecloth and look at it and enjoy it.
0: Yeah. There's a real cat theme in the comments today, <laughs> as you might expect.
1: Oh, sorry. Yes.
0: No, lots of lots of people, lots of compliments for Sammy, of course.
1: Sammy, my little old man.
0: But Anya also said, Recently, I happily gave away a scratching barrel with little caves. I had planned to sell it, but I gave it to my nephew, who had just adopted two cats from a shelter. I love that. I gave it to my nephew for free.
1: And saved him a little bit of money, and isn't that lovely? Yeah. Right? That's perfect. You don't always get that. You don't, that's like the, per, you want to be able to give it away as somebody that you know, who has a perfect use of it right in the exact moment, but the stars don't always align exactly in that moment when you need to get rid of a bunch of stuff. You don't always have a nephew waiting in the wings with new cats that, that you can pass your stuff on to, Right. And so you can make those stories happen about some things, but, it's not realistic to wait for that moment for all of the things that you need to get rid of to feel more in control of your space. And accepting a level of, I made perfect matches for these 10 things and these other 250 things I have to let go and, and, and trust in the universe to make all these get matched up with somebody somewhere down the road. It's just not something that you can, if you wait for the perfect match for all things, you'll never get to the end of the stack and you'll never get your house back to where you want it to be. And so at some point your ultimate goal of living in a space that is less cluttered and more easy to manage becomes a higher priority than matching all these things up that still have value with the exact right person at the exact right moment when they need it because those two things don't intersect very often your need to reclaim your space is not in perfect timing with everybody else's need for the stuff that you have to get rid of and so at some point you have to you have to try try to match them up give as much time as you can to that if that's important to you but at some point you have to go yeah but my my ultimate goal of improving my own living conditions is more important than getting all these things one at a time into the exact right hands and draw a line somewhere and move on.
0: Connie said it hurt a bit to see several of my donated books join the pile of discarded books, which the parish could not sell.
1: Yeah. Our book lovers, we love our books, right? (laughs) And the truth is the parish place You know, they had one sale and they had one set of audiences walking through and they had more volume than they had buyers. And so they couldn't make a hundred percent match between who was there to buy and what they, all the stuff they had to sell. So it wasn't a judgment on the books. It was just that there wasn't the right person in that moment and they were going to pass them on to the next opportunity for people to try to collect them.
0: Yeah. And statement number nine from our, from the, our conversation above, uh, really speaks to that. When people don't want what you give them, including your donations to charity, it isn't a judgment on you or the value of your gift. You still get full credit. <laughs> I mean, your, your, your heart was in the right place and they're, they're discarded, but they're also, you know, they're not, they're out of your, they're out of your space. You have room for more now.
1: And, and they put them in the discard pile and they took them and walked them on to the next donation place to make another, you know, to make an, to pass in front of the next round of people. And sometimes that's going to happen, right? Like sometimes those, objects are going to go into a backwater somewhere and that never quite meet up with somebody, but you have to think of that as an error rate. <laughs> you're going to do your best and you're going to recirculate some of the stuff that you own. And some of it's going to get picked up and used by somebody else. And some of it may not be, and there isn't a whole lot you can do about that unless you want to spend all of your time and all of your days trying to make sure this person, this thing, all of these things end up in somebody else's hands that are the exact right person. And I'm I'm saying to you that I know that that's the perfect solution that you would want, but it is not a timely solution for you to enjoy your own space. And so you can put those you can aim for that as a goal and get as much out as you to somewhere that makes you feel happy as you can and then find some charities that in general you like the work and you like what they do and you like what their uh, possibility of use of the item is and give it to that organization and let them do with it what they can do and and be okay with that be okay with some percentage of what i give to them won't actually um make it but some of it will and you don't have to figure out who or how you get to pass that process off to somebody else because ultimately we just want you to be happy in your space and we want you to feel like you can manage it and when you've lived for a while you own too much stuff so you just you just have to let it go so that you can feel more comfortable in your space again
0: lease in socal said my grandmother purchased five dressers which she used over the years she wanted each grandchild to have one and love it like she did
1: so she made sure there was a dresser for each child wow and and anya asked
0: the follow-up question least so do you like yours which she hasn't answered yet, so we, we'll be eager to hear an answer on that. Oh. Because that's, she, um, you know, she wanted each grandchild to have one and love it like she did. That's a little bit of a tall order, you know? Right. I mean, you're going to love it because it was your grandmother's. Right. But you might not love it for all the reasons she loved it. It, it, was, it was a style she liked. It was useful in a way that she liked. You know, she know she knew how much she spent on it. She knew how hard it was to save up the money to buy it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to it's a tall order to put that much on you know, that much on the shoulders of the person you're giving a gift to.
1: And you know, ultimately I think part of the reason that you want that is because you want you wanna think that your grandkids are gonna remember you forever. You know, like you wanna still be a reminder and a presence in their life after you're gone. And I get it. I get that idea that, uh, I just, I don't want to think about my family forgetting about me when I'm gone Sure. and they're probably not gonna forget you, uh, any more than you forget about your own parents and grandparents. And if you're good at that and you select things that people really like, okay. And, you know, everybody has a different aesthetic and a different style and everybody does something different with their own space. And, you know, how she decorated her space may not have anything to do with how you would decorate your space when you're a grown up and receive all these things. Right. It's hard to make it work in her house and also guarantee that it's going to work in your house down the road. Right. Like that's two targets. And
0: here's Lisa's answer. I like it, but not my style and too big for my space. My mom has it in storage, lives lives in another state, and I told her she can keep it. She really likes it or sell it to make up for all the cost of moving expenses. It is still in storage five years later.
1: Oh, and if she really likes it, then maybe the trick is to help your mom figure out a way to get it into her house and in use so that, you know, what can she let go of in the house in order to put this piece in the house and use it? And does she really love it enough to surrender something else in the house? And that's where the rubber hits the road, right? Like she may like it and really want it, but she's going to pay for it 57 times over. uh, Five years of, of storage fee is a lot of money. And she could have long since given up something else in the house and moving it in, right? And so yeah, you may want to do the math for her, like cat, figure out what the storage fee is per month times five years and tell her, is this is this um, dresser really worth $3,500 that you spent to keep it in storage? Like, let's do something about it. Let's get it in your house and get something else out of the way, or, you know, let's sell it and move on because it's not worth what you paid for it in storage. She didn't paid for the possibility. She didn't
0: specify paid storage. I I wasn't sure if she might, you Mm -hmm. know, maybe she has it stored in her own house, but. Yeah, yeah. Diane said, I agree with Ed. I never get tired of hearing that. (laughs) She said, I received my mother-in-law's tablecloth, which was in the original box, too. So we used it for Easter with my mom's china. Both, uh, Both were present then. They are both deceased now, so I use it every year. I think, and I think using, you know, using the gift, as opposed to trying to preserve it indefinitely, is the best way to honor the thing.
1: Yeah, particularly because there's not a huge textiles aftermarket either. It's not like it's sitting in the cabinet maintaining its value as a piece of linen, and not deteriorating which of course it is and there isn't somebody sitting around waiting to collect it later yeah so you might as well use it and if you get some tomato sauce on it who cares you know you can still wash it or take it to the dry cleaner or whatever but if it's important enough to keep you might as well also try to use it and if it is broken in the attempt if it's stained beyond repair in the attempt that's okay it was still used for the purpose for which it was made which is important and better than it languishing in a cabinet somewhere yeah i i find a lot of stuff when i start unpacking somebody's house when i start oh let's empty out this closet and i just pull out box after box after box of things that came from mother's house or things that I bought to use and forgot that I had and it and you pull it out and, oh, I forgot I had that. Well, it's not doing any good jammed in the closet right now. Why do you need 37 linen tablecloths when you only put a tablecloth on the table twice a year, maybe you need four so that you can put one on twice a year and replace one when it gets, uh, you know, destroyed, but that fabric accumulating in the closet isn't helping anybody get anywhere and it's making your closet too fat. So there you go.
0: Ellie asked us to post the nine statements on the website, which, which I will do. I'll put them in the notes for, for today's episode because I'm sure I went through them a little fast.
1: Well, and Ed um, curated that. He, read through this long um, conversation that you guys had on the on the post and he sort of extrapolated the key points that everybody was trying to make without attaching them to anybody and paraphrasing them a little bit so that they weren't, you know, immediately recognizable and attributable. <laughs> We're trying to keep it anonymous for you. And so um it's an interesting collection of statements. And it was and it was a, a perfect example of Everybody looks at the same set of circumstances and the same situation, and we all come at it from a different point of view, right? Like everybody was, you know, this person thought A, and this person thought Z about the same thing. And so we all have our own points of view, and we all have to climb through our own perception of value to decide how to make our space livable and comfortable. And it's not something that you can't use the same process for everybody, right? Like everybody has to find their own winding path to, I, I can let go of things and I can keep things and be okay with my living situation at the same time.
0: JC said, I've given things away to people in the past. They have on occasion gotten rid of part or all of the things. This is the moment where we can all grow in a newer relationship to our things, remembering that they're only objects And the real attachment we have is to the memories, feelings, appreciation for the object. They will stay with us forever. Forever and ever. I find that that if I think about which phase of my life I'm in, it's easier to pass them on to others who are in that earlier past phase and enjoy them as much as I did.
1: And I think that that's that's particularly true for people who are uh, families with kids. And the kids go through the things that you have... furniture the kids use the the toys and clothes that they use they're constantly growing out of growing over (laughs) growing through and um what they wore as infants is not what they can wear at three or at six or at twelve and so and you can trade all that stuff in think of it as a constant refreshing you know i gotta pull this infant level soup out and put in the three-year-old soup and Getting in the habit of saving a few representative samples and passing the rest on to somebody else that's right in that space in that middle. They're right where the where you're discarding means that the stuff will continue to get used and keep going on. It's Families have to do that all the time, and they're driven to it because of the constant growth and shifting and changing of their children. And where it gets a little bit more static and more difficult is when everybody's adults, <laughs> and then, then you have to deal with the stuff that, um, you know, you're not changing size or shape, and your furniture is staying the same, and um, there's not some natural growth process or evolution process that's happening that makes it easier. There are changes happening; they're just slower, right? So. What you can manage when you're 30 is not what you can manage when you're 70.
0: April said, we received so much bulky furniture that family members gave to us. Finally, I've learned to say no nicely because we really don't have the space. Right. And and Lise confirmed that your Clutter Fairy sense was correct. She was talking about paid storage. She mm. says her mom lives in a small apartment with no space and has four storage units. holding on to inherited items from two households. She's trying to motivate her to let things go. Ooh, that's tough.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to tell a story about inheritance for a second here (laughs) and storage units. So um, I had a client who was a uh, only child, and when the Uh, when the the second parent died apparently they died pretty close together as is common it happens a lot that you know one spouse dies and then the other one dies within a year or two or a few months depending and and so she was um understandably upset and distressed and she um, had to clear out their house and so she threw it all in storage and left it there and um in the in the early grief uh, filled months after the second parent passed away. And what that meant was she put it in storage and then she ignored it for like 15 years. And ignoring it for 15 years meant that she spent an outrageous number, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to keep the stuff because it was antiques and it was worth something and it needs to be sold. And so when she was finally ready to do something, and I can't remember what triggered her to go back into the storage unit and try to deal with it, um, but she called me in and we went through the process of taking pictures, putting them on Craigslist or whatever it was at the time, um, listing them. I had to go meet people at the storage unit um, as they were buying things so i spent all my time creating these listings and putting them out there and then meeting people to buy the things and selling them off and ultimately what she made on the stuff that she sold paid for my fee so she broke even getting rid of them because she had me doing it and it was all stuff that she was selling on the secondary used market of course And even though it had a whole lot of emotional value to her, they weren't pieces that had huge dollar monetary value in resale. And so it was a whole lot of waiting and effort to get these items sold to realize no profit because she had to pay me for all the time it took to dispose of them. Now, she could have made that money herself if she'd done all the work herself, but she didn't want to do that part. She just wanted to realize the money. And so she spent the money making the sale happen without her participation. And I'm sure it was a very unsatisfying result for her, but she'd already spent 15 years worth of storage fees to store it. It was a big storage unit. I'm sure it was $2,500, $2,000 a year. So you do the math. That's 30,000 bucks after 15 years of storage. That was just water rolling down the river and not being useful. And so once it goes in storage because you think it's important but you don't have space to put it, then you are now actively um, costing yourself money to not let those things go, and to keep the emotional value. And so, hmm, don't bleed yourself dry like that. Don't bleed your family dry like that. Even if you have to do it slowly over time. You know, I did that particular process as one project where we went in and did all the things at once, and I listed everything at once, and you know, I handled it in a. In the course of three or four weeks, and made it all disappear over that time. You could go at it differently and go and sell one thing at a time so that it's not as much of a burden on yourself to dispose of it. But setting a goal to get it done, you know, to sell the major pieces in two months or four months or six months or something um, might help you either get into a smaller unit or recognize that the value is all emotional value made up by you. It's not actual value in the marketplace and you can donate it. You can ask your friends if they want it instead of selling it, you know, you can give things away. You can dispose of it in a slightly slower time frame than if you had somebody come in and do it all at once. Or you can call an estate service and let them come and take it or, Max solds can come and handle it and sell everything and you can get a percentage of the sale instead. It's just not worth it to leave that emotional attachment in a storage unit that you're paying for so that you don't have to let go of a perceived value that may or may not be anywhere close to what you think it is.
0: It's a very expensive way to house your deferred decisions.
1: (laughs) Uh, Nancy, it's not max it's max sold, S-O-L-D, max, M-A-X, S-O-L-D dot com. Um, It's an estate service. Uh, They come to your house, take pictures of lots. They put those lots online for online auction, and then they uh, meet people, they like do a, a retrieval day where they come and meet people at your house to give the lots to them, and um, it's a it's a way to do an estate sale with an online auction, and you know you don't you don't get all the money you get a portion of the money. They do all this incredible amount of work to make an online auction happen, but it's a way to it's a, it's an alternative online version of an estate sale basically. Tammy
0: on Facebook asked, "How do I determine what I value?" Intellectually I want relationships, not stuff. However, I'm drowning in clutter. How do I get clear? I want beauty and space in my home comfort, but I see clutter.
1: So I'm guessing that part of the issue there is that visually a lot of things around the house is visually overstimulating to you and it gets in the way of seeing what you seeing it serene and calm. So imagine looking at a magazine or looking at a movie and where, what are the scenes that feel calming and peaceful to you? Are they blank? Are the surfaces blank? Are there, is there not very much on the walls? Is it, you know, one or two tchotchkes in the room and that's it? Like you have to imagine the areas that you find to be beautiful and peaceful and then count the objects in that space. If there's two pieces of furniture and one painting on the wall and two tchotchkes, then anything beyond that item count is gonna seem like clutter to you. So <laughs> it means that your aesthetic does not lend itself to owning a bunch of stuff. And you're gonna to have to get real particular about what stays in your space. going to have to let go of a whole lot more to get to a place where it feels calming and soothing to you and you got to have towels and you got to have bath wash and you got to have you know 409 to clean the kitchen counter and you, you know there's things that you have to have but to function but having the least amount possible on hand at any point in time and having those things arranged in a way that looks serene to you. So maybe inside the cabinet, the things are in a container that's opaque so that you can't see right through it. You know, there's things that might help you feel more comfortable in the space by making the visual more clean and appealing, more clean and serene, calm. Getting there requires getting everything out of there. (laughs) So not everybody feels the same way about um, a visual landscape, but a lot of people do want a very smooth, smooth um, look. And if that's you, then you have to create a much smaller sense of there's not as much stuff to look at and therefore I own less. You really need to pare down how much you own in order to achieve the aesthetic that makes you comfortable.
0: I wanna remind our viewers and listeners that our YouTube channel has more than 100 videos on a wide variety of organizing topics. Go to cfhou.com slash
1: YouTube. cfhou.com slash YouTube. Subscribe to our channel
0: on YouTube and then click the bell icon next to the subscribe button if you like to get notifications whenever we post new content. Our next Webcast will be on Tuesday, November 17th at noon U.S. Central Time, live in Zoom and streaming on Facebook. We do not have a topic picked out yet, but we will come up with something for you. Gail, what are your final thoughts?
1: Okay, so the decisions we've made about what to hold on to and what to let go of have brought us to where we find ourselves right now. If we have too much stuff in our spaces and we feel overwhelmed and overburdened, it's already keeping us from living the kind of lives we want. We have to re-examine those decisions to keep that we've made. And since so many of those decisions are based on the value that we're assigned to things, we have to take a hard look at how we're arriving at judgments about value. If everything that seems even remotely useful somehow feels essential, maybe we need to raise the bar a little bit. Keeping your original value judgment is how you got overwhelmed and overburdened. Changing how you decide on value and how you comfortably dispose of value is the pathway out of overwhelm and into an unburdened lifestyle.
0: All right, thanks. If you're watching this on YouTube, we'd love for you to join us live. To get notifications about upcoming events, we invite you to join the meetup group by visiting cfhou.com slash meetup you can also follow us on facebook by going to cfhou.com facebook or subscribe to our mailing list by visiting cfhou.com subscribe we love to hear from you so please send us your questions and topic suggestions in the youtube comments or anywhere that you find us online and you can always reach us through our website at clutterfairhouston.com
1: Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We really appreciate it. We're glad to see you, and thankfully, we're on the other side of the election so we can get back to worrying about our spaces again. (laughs) We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.